Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Athlete Welfare Podcast, where I, Finn Kelly, delve into all things athlete welfare with professional sport and fitness practitioners. Today, I am joined by Rob Robertson. Rob, would you kindly introduce yourself to all the listeners, who you are, what you do, and essentially why you're here? Thanks, Finn. I'm a sports mental skills coach and specialise in emotional fitness is my area, which is, of course, my journey as well, which we'll probably get into at some stage. Oh, we will. It's all about the journey. It is. We'll, we'll be there in about two or three minutes, so don't you worry about that. But like, first off, as you know, I asked a couple of questions at the beginning. So, Rob, like, what's your understanding of athlete welfare? It's about the balance of the inner and the outer for me. It's about making sure the an athlete is comfortable inside with what they're doing and listening to the instincts so that they're getting satisfaction. And ultimately, that's about enjoyment as well. So good welfare is about enjoying what you're doing. And in sport, I think that's really important. So, so at the I, highest I, level as well. Nice, I love that. And I read earlier just uh, about yourself, like something on your LinkedIn is, building in a trust to empower greater inner freedom. So is that something that kind of is, is at the forefront of your approach in terms of actually just making people trust what's going on in the inside to then almost like pay dividends to what's going on on the outside? Yeah, well, absolutely. Because it's the, with the increase in anxiety and different mental illness and now, well, it's around prioritizing your inner development and knowing then your limits and and then pushing yourself in but also listening to your body and so that's why the inner is such a key thing to be able to in a world to really trust and believe in in and who you are and that's how the true world champions are they really believe in who they are so so that's no surprise to anybody but it's uh, it's something that is the characteristic between the best in the world and the and the people that are trying to be the best in the world is that uh that inner belief and and that drives them so are we are we born with this inner belief this this inner trust that we have or is it something that we can develop as athletes as coaches as practitioners within the sport world is that something that that is naturally coming to us or can we actually administer that at any point in our career well you can develop it definitely i mean the first seven years of our life is is when we're our brains developing and all, all of programming which is a key part of it but we can certainly develop that by and, and improve it by doing inner work and really listening to to what drives us and, and that growth, definitely. So now it's your turn. What drives you, Rob? Oh, well, my journey is all about self-doubt. And in sport as a kid, I was first selected for, it was a mid-Canterbury football team, soccer team we call it in New Zealand. And I had massive self-doubt going out because I didn't think I was good enough. And I was with these elite kids and and going to to rep tournaments. And so I didn't really perform at that level very well. 
which was natural with the the, the self doubt that I had, and then the similar as an eighteen year old in tennis selected in the with Canterbury tennis team, and again self doubt was this factor that was coming through, and then it was again university first year the self doubt at the halls of residence. I just started questioning, am I good enough? And was this pattern continued until I had two sleepless nights where I literally didn't sleep at all. And that was a key thing where I went, I discovered if I go to the doctor, there's such thing as anxiety and my mind was just going crazy. And so that was the start of this journey of which later that year, with um, depression, started the journey of really understanding the inner workings of what of the mind and, and the emotions and all this area. So, so then fast forward a, a long way over the years of development, there was many years, or it was 10 years later, I, oh, for the next 10 years, I developed what I thought was the answer to everything. And that was positive thinking. I thought by positive thinking, I had control. And that was fine for 10 years until I discovered by having positive thinking, forcing me into a safe place in the head, I was cutting off emotions and I suppressed a lot of emotions. I had a lot of anger and all sorts of things. So at that point, 10 years later, I was doing a retreat in in Australia, and I f- we did this exercise. And I found out I had this massive anger inside, and all these emotions that I didn't even know I had because I was turning everything into a positive in the head. And at that point, that's when I really—I was actually very disturbed that I had all this emotion and stuff un- unknown to me that was hidden away and blocked because I was Mister Positive in the head. So that started the the journey, last 20 years journey of around emotions and to learn everything I could around emotions. And that has been a fascinating from, from looking at as a seven-year-old with um, some sexual abuse and a whole lot of other deep stuff that helped create anger and other, other things, but getting professional help and also developing the key thing was developing a technique called emotional unblocking which is where you drop, oh, I can go into detail of that at some stage if interested, but that's a technique where you do by yourself, where you, when, when you're feeling a negative emotion, you drop into it and release layers and let it out by yourself, which is such a powerful technique that I've developed it. And which is, so the end result of all of this is from often being in the head, and in top sport, you can't um, be, be stuck in the head when you're in competition to so get found out. The, I used to have positive self-esteem in the head, but the reality was when I really, at an emotional level, I was not happy and had all this anger. So the end result, and to conclude this, is that when I started to let out the emotions and unblock the emotions, then... I noticed a real shift in mental toughness. I I play a lot of tennis now, and I used to, under pressure, often, yeah, go off the boil. And over the last few years, as I've really 
got consistent in understanding my emotions and released a whole lot of old stuff using the unblocking technique, then I found a different level of mental toughness under pressure and my whole game has gone to multiple new levels over the last number of years on the on the rankings. So that's the that's the what drives me because I know and recall so clearly what it was like, the whole processing and the doubt. And I still still of course have um self-doubt. There's there's different there's different scales and and, and it can be a healthy motivator. But I can still so clearly recall the feeling of just analyzing and the and just knowing knowing with with such doubt and looking at people and and not being able to make uh, just not believing and so that's why I was so driven to help people because I actually feel so different about about who I am and that is what drives me. I think all of that I'll is shut just, up now. It's just inspiring. Like it's really fascinating to hear because you often like you, you talk to a lot of people who are who are in this space, in this world, and and some have just got into it because it was something that that interested them. But those people that have got into it because they've experienced it and they know firsthand how it feels to have that shift in mindset and the the change and the adaptability is is just really just kind of refreshing to see, you know, it's, it's nice. And like, I, I made a few notes while you're talking there and, and it's something that you've written before as well, in terms of replacing anxiety and self-doubt with self-esteem and self-trust and, and coming off the back of that is like the emotional fitness and the emotional well, well-being in terms of like unblocking that emotion and, and then mm. creating mental toughness. It's, it's something that kind of all just makes sense when you write it down on a piece of paper, how things equal other things. And, I just, I just love to see it. But let's talk about the emotional unblocking in terms of that actual specific experience that has created this shift in this space for you. Great. So before going to that, just something jumping out is that I'm a big believer, and there's some research that supports that emotions lead our thoughts. And so from having a, a big sort of active mind and analysing and things, then I've found the mind is quieter. It's very quiet by comparison because as you're emotionally calm and comfortable, then it stops a lot of negative thoughts in the head. So that is one of the really empowering things. But let's answer your question. So emotion unblocking, and it's actually nicknamed, I'm, I'm assuming we can use this word, it's nicknamed deshitterization. Nice. That's right on your podcast, is it? Let's go for it. Like, that's straight to the point. There's no messing around with that, is there? <laughs> so it it's nicknamed that because it's about clearing out that manure. And so how it works is when you're feeling negative emotions, then because the belief is that ultimately we are ideal state is to be calm and content and, and sort of positive. That's our, our sort of natural state. And our negative emotions are powerful feedback and, and safety tools. So then when we're feeling negative emotion, how it works is if we're in a place where we can drop into that and, and let our emotions and our, 
privately, then particularly as a male letting out emotions, certainly in New Zealand, it's uh, males are, are staunch and, and used to be the stereotypical, um, you don't let out emotions. So when you're in a private place where you can let out emotions, then you drop into the negative emotion and just let out any feelings. You don't analyse it. You just let out any feelings. And here's the key step. You ask where it's coming from. And you just feel or sense the emotion. And by asking where it's coming from, you drop down and just release more layers. And you just let out emotions and let out more layers of emotion. And then you keep going until you get deeper, deeper layers. And the best way of thinking of it is it's a bit like an iceberg. If you are feeling a negative emotion, you might but you often just feel the tip of the iceberg. And often people push that emotion down and that iceberg um, floats and goes back into our unconscious and floats around and then comes up again and so forth. But by doing this, we actually melt the layers of the top of the iceberg and the iceberg comes up. We melt more layers and we melt more and more layers. And eventually, if we do it for a number of minutes, then it gets down, we get down to the bottom and we actually release the iceberg from where it's attached at the very bottom into our psyche. And we actually melt the whole iceberg. So we release that baggage. So next time we're in a situation which actually creates a negative feeling, if we've released the baggage that created it, we don't have that negative feeling. So we de-baggageize it. And that's been the technique that, um, that's the simple explanation for it, where that's been huge for me to actually release so much anger, self-doubt, to actually just feel okay about who I am. And that is the fundamental and the short explanation of de-shitterization. And, and just to conclude that, it's, it's whatever emotion. So, so it can be crying. It can be, for me, it was anger and I hit a pillow and then there'll be sadness and I might cry some tears and and there's just an array of different emotions and it's a matter of not analyzing it, just releasing and and clearing and letting go of a whole lot of blocked emotions. So we get real freedom inside. And that is so empowering to do. It's just made me think in terms of like my own experiences of having advice kind of like, it was just when you use like the debagging side of things. So like we mm -hmm. I remember using like a shopping basket analogy. Like when we go to the supermarket and you're getting your own shopping, you don't just carry everybody else's shopping in that supermarket, like you carry your own shopping. So why aren't we like why are we putting everybody else's shopping in our own basket or carrying their basket like just carry your own you don't need to carry anybody else's like leave theirs you don't need to worry about that you're not going to go and pay for that like just just focus on what you need for that week to survive and and that i guess is is the emotional unblocking um and that's just like that's just maybe think of an example in terms of my own experiences but like just thinking in terms of reducing the layers of emotion from your perspective like have you got an example of the approach or the technique that or, or the melting of the iceberg that you've potentially used that you could talk about here in terms of just stripping back a couple of those layers as as a live example for people to be able to empathize with yeah firstly before going into that example one one thing where first got into this was when i first described first found massive anger and and found that 
I had all this emotion that was blocked away, went to a men's anger group, which was interesting because there was a baseball bat and a boxing bag on a table in front of us. And we there's, a, there's sort of, must have been 15 of men there, and, and some were actually sent from the police because they had to go to a men's anger group, but others went voluntary, like myself. And so we actually got the baseball bat when it was our turn and talked about how we're feeling. And then we would um, hit the bat and, and, and just <laughs> offload the anger. And oh, I can still still sort of remember some of the feelings and the stuff that came out by this year sort of being sort of witnessed. But anyway, it was um, back to your um, back to your answer to your question. I've I've an practical example. So I would feel an emotion and of sadness and. And particularly in the younger days when I was flatting, I used to, I was a sort of sadness and I would, so I'd go into my room, put the ghetto blaster on because the thought of a flatmate ever thinking I was crying or whatever was, was as a, as a male was back then was pretty daunting. So I would, uh, and let out the emotion and whatever it was, um, I would feel sadness about, some item or some aspect that was happening in life and might have been it might have been it was happening with a girlfriend or whatever and then I would drop I'd let that out and then I'd drop into it and I would other emotions would come up and then there was stuff from childhood would come up and and then this there is it go back so, so there's all these different layers would come up of emotions and so that's an example of, and well, you keep doing it. The last part that I didn't perhaps explain is you eventually feel a lightness, like there's not more to come out. So you keep asking where it's coming from and going down, down layers and letting out more and letting out more. And then until you feel there's not much there, and that's when you actually have the lightness and the comfort to feel like you've got a whole iceberg out of the way. So is it almost like you have to actually confront your emotions rather than try and ignore them away? You've got you've got to confront them. You've got to break them down a little bit. You've got to be honest with yourself and have that inner trust, I guess, to be able to do it. Yeah, right. I'll probably reframe it slightly. Rather than confront, just uh, not endorsed, but essentially it's allow the emotions freedom and and just prioritize your emotions an example being is like a muscle if you don't use the muscle you don't have the benefit of that movement of the muscle and it's the same with our emotions that's why you use the term emotional fitness is if we don't prioritize and listen to our emotions or understand how to feel the full array of emotions we don't get the benefits of of emotions because they're such a driver in sport and there are instincts which the our emotions are linked to our instincts and our unconscious under pressure so that's why it's about really using the full array of emotions because that links to the point of that traditionally in society we're taught that positive emotions are okay and if you're Getting into the negative emotions, you go to the doctor and you'll probably 
and they might say antidepressants or it might might talk about the methods or give you so there's not so much talked about methods of understanding negative emotions so real emotional fitness is about understanding having a toolkit of how to integrate negative emotions and know that emotions are a valuable gps or a tool to feedback and help us if we know that negative emotions are okay and we we know how to deal with them and use them and not run away from them because traditionally we sort of try and run away from negative emotions and only are happy in the positive emotions would you agree yeah is that, is that the way you were brought up yeah, I was just thinking then in terms of emotional fitness, actually, I always thought that emotional fitness was being positive all the time and, and feeling like you're being you're being strong in everything that you do. But actually, emotional fitness, because like based on what you said about positive thinking and how it suppresses emotions, it's kind of changed changed my opinion a little bit, my my view on it in terms of emotional fitness being, well, actually, you've you've got to, like you said, almost like, accept it allow you to be able to 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 accept these emotions and then and then break down these layers and, and melt that iceberg i guess and that's something i was going to ask in terms of positive thinking everybody listening will probably be a little bit surprised as well yeah i was just going to say well real strength is in having a full range of emotions yeah, because you can't really be vulnerable or, I mean, to be vulnerable or really talk about weaknesses, you have to have the inner strength to be able to do that. Because I remember when I was Mr. Positive, I was this facade and I would say what I thought people needed to hear, but there's no way I could drop into any negativity because it was all a facade. So true strength is when you have this big, range of emotional ability you know you can handle anything and that's real strength and that's that's really good emotional fitness to be able to hand, hand be able to handle that so with regards to actually accepting what you're saying here and almost not thinking that positive thinking is the way forward all of the time because actually it does suppress our emotions and it can have a negative effect on us what would you say to People listening to this podcast now, say, for example, they've just kind of checked into the podcast, they're listening now. What one bit of advice can you give to somebody to actually make them realise that positive thinking isn't always the way forwards? We've got to allow some negativity. It's about breathing, stopping and really feeling and sensing and if it's if it's a voice or a, a driver, I've got it, it's got it, it's got it, it, and, and some sort of driver, that can be a driver externally or some conditioning that is forcing you to do something which is against what your body's saying. Because if we don't really listen to our body and have that balance of inner and outer, then we might be driven for the wrong reason. So it's really stopping and listening and feeling and sensing. Because I'm a big believer in our in a, in a senses, intuition, whatever we want to call it, instincts are have all have all the answers, and it's really listening. And uh, so I'm not saying we don't be positive, but I've I've changed my whole tune around. Just really, it's listening, listening within, and sometimes, yeah, sometimes a, a big loss in, in a match is 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 a better outcome. And 
because we're going to learn huge amounts. And, and it's just really not judging because here's the key thing is the head is built to judge good and bad and analyze. And so it's a judgment machine. But the key is to get out of the judgment of good and bad to be really present. And really present is in the moment and we're not necessarily judging. And if we get to that place where we are just reviewing what's happening in a, in a match and we're really present there and we're not constantly saying, oh, this is good or bad, then we're looking at strategies and to move forward. So that would be the key there. I guess how can we be truly present if we're only ever being positive because not every second of every day of every week of every month is always positive. So actually in a negative situation, we're not being present if we're being positive. So you've got to be honest with yourself, haven't you? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because if we're being positive, well, I can only speak from me, but I I do see people say, oh, get over it, it'll be be positive. And and that just really tends to cover up and not listen. And it's really about emotional fitness is about listening to you and valuing your emotions and giving, having strategies to really build that resilience and trust the self and value the self. And it's still, it's, it's a journey and an interesting journey. Is it a journey that you're still on? Oh, absolutely. I would, I don't claim to know the answers, but I, um, all the answers, but I do, do love sharing what's worked for me and I don't necessarily I certainly don't have a exceptionally high self-esteem or anything I've got a a self-esteem that I'm comfortable with and there's still a journey there for me personally and in sport and because I play a lot of tennis it's uh, it's fascinating um what I'm learning and still very much learning but I do know the massive contrast from from where I was to where I am now. And that's what is so rewarding and so inspiring for me and why I love doing what I do, just because it's that freedom to trust and be okay in, in what I'm doing and enjoy it instead of uh, yeah, being a bit miserable about it all. Well, we get miserable about it all, but that's that's part of as part of the journey. Being miserable about it is fine if we understand that that's part that you can use that being miserable and uh, do different. There's a talk out of different things for for when you're feeling miserable. One of them's unblocking. We talked about, and there's other things of. Uh, so yeah, but you see, that's, that that's normal. We don't run around, run away from it. No, that's true. I think I think like yeah, it's yeah, just like the way that humanity is, isn't it? Like you look back in in history, like. We don't always run away from things. We, we confront things. Like if you think back to tribes and all sorts, like if there was an issue, those tribes would fight it out, wouldn't they? Like survival. And and sometimes we've just got to bear that in mind. But like you talk about not knowing all the answers, but actually for yourself personally, you probably know a lot of the answers for yourself, don't you? I think everybody's different, but like we can't be thinking about everybody else all the time. We've sometimes actually just got to know the answers for our own self to cope, surely. Yeah, that is the fundamental and key driver is to just 
trust that you the right things happen at the right time. And I'm a big believer in flow. And in that, and had sort of both in earlier days in rugby and in tennis, had some moments of incredible flow where things just happen effortlessly. You can call it being in the zone. And it's that trust, which is the key thing you, you hit on, because it is just knowing whatever is happening, getting the judgment of the out of the way in the head and just knowing whatever is happening is part of the journey and it's education to help along the way. And that's a key thing of just listening and knowing that it's okay, whatever is happening, and you can handle it and you've got the tools to be able to be fine. And because often not knowing is such a powerful thing going into a situation of, well, I don't know, but it'll be what it'll be, sort of that. Yeah, you had on the key thing yeah yeah I love that I often talk about how like your experiences create your perspectives and it's just quite nice to actually hear that people all over the world in all sorts of roles are, are believe in this too like our experiences if not positive or negative but we'll always learn something from them and, and they'll always shape our perspectives but you mentioned about 10 minutes ago breathing breathing in that emotional fitness process and that kind of just sparked my thought towards like meditation because i know that meditation forms a bit of what you do in terms of better decision making reducing stress and overwhelm can you just delve into your experiences with meditation potentially and actually like what meditation is to you because i think it's a bit of a buzzword and people have got different perspectives of what it means yeah well the first point on breathing is sometimes breathing can cover up and hide emotions and so it's being aware of if you really want to feel, you don't necessarily go into a breathing process. But for me, meditation has been that that place to connect with deeper inside. And, and because of that feeling of flow, or which to me is, I find by going into meditation, I have a similar feeling of just connecting. And, it, and it's often a glow in the, in the middle of the body. And so it's really connecting to source and the science has proven that everything's connected at a quantum mechanical level, every molecule or is, is there's, a, there's a connection. And so the answers are all there. And so for me, the meditation is about just really quietening everything and connecting to source and reminding the providing the power within and so it's it's i get it's a way of really prioritizing the inner doing a form of inner work rather than uh always focusing on the external it's strengthening the inner so is it fair to say that the work that you do in terms of emotional fitness and emotional unblocking is potentially some form of meditation i had never thought of it like that it could be not I wouldn't so much describe it as a meditation. It's it's uh, but it's a yeah. The two go that the, the separate, but they're powerful together because it's about about prioritizing your inner inner self and listening to your inner self would be, I guess, the answer. Is that number one? Is that what people should be doing? Just prioritizing inner self and and everything comes from that. Well, the word "should" is an interesting one. And because I'm trained as a as, as a coach, the uh, we if we're doing pure coaching, 
or as an executive or life coaching, um, then it is, you don't you never give anyone advice if you're doing the pure form of coaching. So the word should is coming from the head and a should is tends to be an external. So rather than moving from a should to a I feel or or that's the that's the the difference um, between a should and a and uh, and a what drives. Nice, I like that. Now, I'm am I right in thinking 2019 was like a bit of a breakthrough year for you in terms of some mental toughness and things like that. What was it that that resulted in this breakthrough? What what kind of techniques or approaches did you start adopting? What Ultimately, like, what did 2019 consist of for Rob? Well, a number of years of unblocking seemed to connect and it was one of the aspects, and I just it was on the tennis court because I went through this phase of having, when I made a mistake, having huge anger and I tend to play better by letting out the anger. And I'm um, playing on emotions because that gets me out of head and I'm playing on instincts. And so we was going through, went through a few years of real letting out anger and didn't smash rackets or anything like that, but just letting out emotions and letting out and was carrying on a little bit embarrassingly sometimes just by letting out anger and then returning. So I tried to do it as well as I could. So, But then over time, there was less, the anger changed and... And that year was when I started to compete against the, the the top players and under pressure noticed that when I'm serving for the match that I, I could hold, was holding serve and that was the year when I just started to feel a different level of trust inside and that's the, that's the outcome for me as you've you've mentioned it, is it's that just being comfortable and trusting that whatever happens is happening for a reason and you're trusting that you're on track, even if you weren't expecting the result or whatever, but just knowing that it's uh, it's that trust in a in a journey is the was the key thing that started to really show more dividends in 19. And how did this whole kind of performing under pressure in terms of the different levels of inner trust that you were experiencing when you had this breakthrough, like how, how did that make you feel? I'm intrigued in how you felt oh. inside. Like, can, can yeah. you sum it up? Can, can you do it? Oh, well, there's a tennis club in Auckland that I'd uh, played at. Our second career was as a tennis coach in the U S just on my OE and so I arrived at this coach, at this tennis club and I was an interim coach for a few months to cover. And here's this uh, tennis club, what's Mission Bay Tennis Club. And I was this player who was up and down, who had been the coach. But I, so I got an amazing, amazing club. So because I was always up and down, um, I used to look and I competed at the top players sort of some of the time but not consistently so I always felt I was lesser than them and I remember in in when I got to the level of being able to compete with these top guys and said second in the club champs and things like that and in the doubles and 
It was just a feeling like I dreamed about this. And that's the outcome that is so powerful. It's sort of reenacting it now is, 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 yeah, all sorts of things are happening in my my body. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, it's really, it's just cool to feel like I'm at the level of these of the top players in the in the club and and yeah it's uh, it's still a journey we go through phases of uh of the journey and yeah that was the major thing which is looking back on is is satisfying today and i remember w- winning a tournament in in Whangarei and a doubles tournament and just the fact that won a open tournament uh, and um, and just the satisfaction of that is just all new was new stuff to, that I sort of dreamed about and I looked from the balcony at, at the club champs and admired these guys and thought why couldn't I be like that and consistency and so yes is the long-winded answer to, to that one and was it emotional fitness that was the the main cause of of this success this feeling that you were experiencing oh, yeah yeah, oh, for sure. How many years of it? it well, ooh, it was more like 20 years ago when I first discovered that I had this blocked up anger and all sorts of hidden um, inner stuff. So it, it was, yeah, I suppose probably 15 years of doing different things and so, yeah, but I've had had some some serious layers of anger and stuff that I've moved through. But yeah, so the results were gradual, and it was just I remember that 2019 in particular was a year when I've started to really notice some notice how far I'd come. So I suppose that's uh, that's why. I've, why that year felt like it was significant, but there's gradual changes all the way through. But in answer to your directly to your question, emotional fitness was the was the key because if our emotions are connected to our unconscious programming and our stuff, which is connected to which lead our thoughts. So by releasing layers of blocked stuff and icebergs and debiggerizing, we change or I've, I've changed programming and how I feel when I go out onto the court or how I feel when in under pressure. So that is the definitely the being the key there, the emotional fitness. That's absolutely amazing. Right, Rob, what we're gonna do now is we're gonna delve into some of the questions at the end because I think we've got I could just feel like we're gonna have some good points coming being thrown around at least coming mainly from your direction. I very much doubt mine but right first question is it possible for athletes to be happy whilst attempting to maximize performance potential it's the fundamental to maximizing your potential and i'll quote an example of uh lydia co former world number one golf professional she talks a lot she was number one for so many years and then just for several years just didn't even make the makeup on tour and she talks about having fun and going out and enjoying it and so yeah i i'm a rooted believer that having fun or or the satisfaction and tuning into what drives you if you're not enjoying it 
then, yeah, then it just takes away from why you're doing it. Does flow come from enjoyment, do you think? They're connected in, in some ways. If you're, if you're hating what you're doing, you're not likely to get in flow and be in that yeah. effortless state of peak performance. So, yeah, it's a, you want to be doing it because you love it. You don't want to do it because your parents have told you you've got to do it or something mm. like that. Nice, I love that. And can athletes achieve perfection, Rob? It's nice to aim for perfection but not be attached to that outcome. And being because being attached to it is, is the inverse of flow. So what I mean by that is to be in flow, it's detached from set outcomes. You have your intentions and you have your game plan and you then just let go of being affixed, attached to it and stay really in the moment. And that's one of the keys to flows detaching. So, yeah, sure, we want a perfect game plan, um, but reality, it's not necessarily going to be very easy. Or, But we aim for it and just be happy with whatever occurs. Nice. And how important would you say talking is? Well, as a coach, in, uh, then it's listening is the most important on the, the both uh, power. But for, well, if, there's a difference between a sports coach and say a, a life coach or a mental skills coach. But as a mental skills coach, it's the listening is the most powerful thing. And a little formula that I used to explain corporate groups is children feel loved to the degree to they feel listened to. And that's the IKEA formula, I called it. And <laughs> so the degree to which you listen to children is the degree to which they feel loved. And it's just being present and listening to them is the fundamental. So listening is the power skill. Well, like you mentioned how that's the power skill for mental skills coaches, but it might be a little bit different for performance coaches. I'm just thinking about when I'm coaching yeah. in, in academies and stuff like that. Actually, I used to think that asking really good questions or talking all the time and demonstrating all of my knowledge rather than actually telling them what they need to know was the best way forward. Yeah. But that really isn't the case. Like if I'm being a really good coach and I'm being a really good communicator, all I need to do is ask them one question and I need to listen to absolutely everything from there and just let them have conversations between themselves and just listen. And then based on the information that I've gained from listening, then I can structure the training session or structuralize the things that I'm delivering around that. Like I don't need to talk. I need to listen. And I think that's the yes. way forward. Absolutely. Because when you ask a question to them, then there's different neurons fire off in the brain to get them to think and process and come up with a solution. So they often will get it so much better than if you just tell them they, the chances of them actually embedding it are so much lower. So yeah, very well, well put. Nice. And what are your three go-to fundamentals for creating a strong, beneficial and positive welfare for the athletes, all the people in the business world, anything that you work with? Nothing is an accident. Switch off from judging all good or bad and just look at obstacles as feedback. And what can you take from that? What can you learn? And what can you grow as a result from it will be the first one. 
And the second one I've talked plenty about already is the follow instincts. Feel the flow. Life should not be hard. And it's about if we're listening to what's right for ourselves and make the right choices, we tend to be in the right place at the right time. And that's the then we're driven by more satisfaction and we're enjoying. And so if we're really following instincts or listening, then it'll be the second one. And the third one I talk of is in setting intentions, not goals. The difference between intentions and goals is intentions, we set them and we then detach from that being the only outcome, as opposed to goals, we might chase them and win our bodies uh, and break our body, for example, because we're so focused on the goal. So we set the intentions and then we aim for it, but we detach from that being the only outcome and just stay open so we can review our intentions and adjust them in accordance with our instincts and listening within what's right for us. So got a system there of setting intentions using a one-page plan that, that I use. And so, yeah, big on intentions rather than goals. Nice. That's cool. It's got me thinking. What is your recommendation of one go-to source of information to help the people that you work with realise the importance of their own welfare? I'm going to quote two books, which 10, 15 years ago were sort of game changers for me for explaining life. And because if you're looking at the developing it, and the first one is called The Seven Spiritual Laws of Success by Deepak Chopra. That, when I first read it, sort of became a little bit of a a Bible of just explaining karma and all sorts of things that are are around life and talks of the inner and the outer and so forth. The second one is, the the original book is The Power of Now, and his newer book that's probably the one to read is The New Earth by Urquhart Tolle. And he's all about being in the moment and how looking forward, the mind looks forward and back and in the moment is where the power is. And when first read that, that was sort of game changer for me. So those are sort of some fundamentals that explain a lot of the philosophies that I'm big on. So that'll be the two. Smashing. And we kind of, we speak about sport, sporting experiences and we talk about life as well. And we see all sorts of stuff like expectations, barriers, setbacks in sport. But what advice can you give to somebody outside of sport that is potentially coming across a challenge or a barrier? Really look at what they can learn from it and and talk to different people and have a mentor who can give support and help and give ideas on because it's all about perspective if we're constantly evaluating and judging this whole good and bad thing it's really getting perspectives so looking at perspectives internally and trusting and getting a mentor or somebody that you can go to and just sort of share the journey and get support would be the key thing and who would you nominate for a future episode of the athlete welfare podcast Wow, a really interesting person is Greg Bateman because he's a UK professional rugby player. Nice. Who, who actually for, was talking about emotional fitness. That's how I came across him. 
but he's uh, I think he's still playing. Yeah, I think he's still playing professional rugby, but he also does some interesting things off the rugby field as well. He's he'd be an interesting person. He's nice. NBA. Love that. Right. One thing that I've started recently doing is just like as a little bit of a summary at the end. Do you have one message that you want to give to the people that are listening to this podcast? Prioritize your emotional health or emotional fitness. Really make sure, like, make sure that you're really listening and not running away from negative emotions and and being okay just to sit with negative emotions or do different look at different learning different things to to allow negative emotions to be okay because it's it's all part of the radar it's all part of the the of life and embrace and grow and that's the key to living a truly rewarding life and in any aspect i think Perfect. Rob, it has been my absolute pleasure to host you on the Athlete Welfare Podcast today. I mean, we've been trying for a couple of weeks, like many other people, but we're finally here and like it, it oh, it's been incredible. I've learned an awful lot and hopefully everybody listening has too. There's definitely things that I'm gonna try and implement into into my day-to-day life. So hopefully they will as well. But like honestly, I mean it, it's been an absolute privilege. Oh, it's a total delight and a privilege for me. So, so thank you for for bringing out some some interesting thoughts that I hadn't dwelt on for a while. So, I really enjoyed it. So thank you so much for your great interviewing style.